this is Hank 3, and you're listening to Signal to Noise. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 36 of the Signal to Noise podcast. I am your host, Aaron, and tonight we're going to try something a little bit different. So I've been doing some other podcasting here a little bit and um, working with some other people, and I decided to try actually having a couple mics going at the same time because I want to demo a pedal tonight, or two pedals rather, and so I'm actually going to try playing guitar while I'm actually recording the podcast. We're going to see how this works. Hopefully it's a format that I can use in the future here. Um, but before that, let's just get into some news and what's been going on. All right, so it's been a while, I feel like, since my last episode. And um, I've been trying I've been trying to get a, a bunch of different things. I've been kind of looking for a co-host and um, talking to a couple of different buddies to see if they want to come on the show. Um, one guy, I don't know if you guys have been following my Instagram. It's at SGNL, the number 2NZ, um, Signal to Noise, you know, on Instagram. But uh, occasionally I will tag some of the photos with Brad Coons built my hot rod. And uh, Brad's actually the brother of Bob that was on, I can't I think Bob was maybe just the last episode um, that I did because it's been that long since the last episode I recorded. I should have looked that up. But so Brad, um, Brad actually sold me a couple pedals. He's a guitar player and, you know, we've talked about that sort of stuff. And so I, I'm trying to get him to come on the show and, you know, maybe kind of co-host it with me here a little bit. But he is right now in the process of getting married. Uh, gets married in September, so congratulations, Brad. And hopefully after that, maybe we'll get to see him on the show here. But so things that I've been up to, um, I've been anti-Facebook for a while. Like I just, I read it. All the things that I see on there just make me cringe, make me upset. And that's a whole other thing. And I was telling my wife, I'm like, if I could just go on there and only interact in the groups that I've been joining, I'll be very, very happy. So... There's another podcast that I've been really into, and um, hopefully you guys are already listening to it. If you're not, it is called 60 Cycle Hum. So it's Ryan and Steve. They're based out of San Diego, California. Um, as coincidence would have it, they started around the same time I took a break. So I took a break probably, you know, end of 2013, beginning 2014. They started up in the beginning of 2014 and been going for the last two years. Um, their show is fantastic. I love it. I enjoy it. And it's been a huge inspiration. Um, I've actually been interacting on that Facebook group a lot. So it's the 60, 60 Cycle Hum Facebook group. Great bunch of guys out there. Uh, great place just to talk gear, goof around. Um, and I get to give Ryan uh, props on a couple things. So for one, Ryan made a joke picture of a special pedal the JHS put together called the In-N-Out Burger or the Secret Menu or something like that based on the In-N-Out Burger. Um, I guess Josh JHS makes a lot of jokes about in and out. I don't think I've ever really caught them on the Instagram feeds, but apparently it's a big thing. So Ryan came up with this concept of a pedal and, uh, it's caused a little bit of an outrage because, you know, it, it's a pretty awesome idea. It's basically like a loop pedal that would be, so you could envelope control any effect pedal that you own. I'm like, oh my goodness, what a great concept. Like I was really excited about it. And then uh, Ryan posted a video to basically apologize. He's like, hey, uh, sorry, I didn't realize people would be this upset by a joke. And I'm like, oh, man, it's a joke. So I get to give Ryan kudos to um, to be in that classy. Like, I, I absolutely love the show. The guys are a lot of fun to interact with. They keep the group 
um, fun and friendly, you know, and, and, you know, we, we can talk about gear, but then, um, I need to give Ryan kudos on another subject because, um, as, um, my longtime listeners should know, I moved to South Carolina a couple years ago now, and I have been, um, uh, trying to surf since I got here. Like I've been dying to surf. Uh, I took a couple surf lessons. I bought a really cheap foam board. Didn't go so well. Um, bought a legit board. Um, I bought a legit long board, nine footer, and you actually have to wax it. And I've been trying to figure out all this stuff. And um, Ryan's in a surf band. His band's called Dinosaur Ghost. Check them out. They're on iTunes. I actually bought the album. Um, I was talking with Ryan over Facebook, but I never told him this part. Um, I actually was listening to his band, Dinosaur Ghost, to get psyched up before I went surfing for the first time, um, on my own at least. And I really didn't do much surfing, but we'll get into that. So I was, you know, reaching out to Ryan, was talking to him like, hey, you know, um, you have surf band, you surf, because I'm always looking for other people that surf that I can talk to. And if it's a guitarist, like, I know how to talk to guitar players. I'm not necessarily comfortable going out and talking to a complete stranger about surfing. But if it's a guitar player that I can also talk to about surfing, that's my wheelhouse, right? And that's no problem. So we started talking about it. Um, you know, we started chat, chatting over Facebook and he really helped encourage me to get into the water and just practice paddling. And so I did. And man, am I glad I did. I can't wait for next season. Um, I know what I need to do to get in shape. Um, it was just a great feeling. I did nothing more than lay on the board and just try to paddle up and down the coastline. And it was exhausting. I was sore. I was hurt. I hurt for almost a week and it was great. I loved it. Loved every minute of it. Just, just loved it. Right. It was wonderful. So, uh, Ryan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, getting me in the water and all the encouragement and just everything that you and Steve do with the, um, the 60 cycle hum podcast, man. I love it. All right, so let's talk about some other stuff. Here. All right, so I got Barefoot Buttons, again, based on 60 Cycle Hum. And so if you guys haven't seen them, check out BarefootButtons.com. They are basically like a big metal button that fastens down with an Allen screw um, on top of like your, oh, like an MXR Phase 90 style button. I think that's, that's the most common one I can think of. So like my Wampler pedals have those style stomp switches. Um, I put one on my Wampler, on my Leviathan, my uh, Big Muff uh, Nano, and my KHDK um, Ghoul Screamer. And man, like it's funny, like because at first I'm like, well, what's the big deal? Like how often do you play barefoot? Well, here living where it's rather warm, I'm realizing that I don't wear shoes very often now. Um, unlike when I was living up north, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll give these buttons a, a try. Oh, it's been great. Like it's it makes it easier to hit the button. And since I do tend to be barefoot a lot when I'm playing, you know, in my studio here, it's really been nice. It's made things a lot easier. So those have been pretty cool. And then uh, something I'm really excited about, and I'll be talking about more on the next episode, is the TC Electronic Wiretap. I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's an amazing pedal. And it's such a simple concept. And there's other things that have done it, and I'll talk about this more in depth in the next episode. Um, but it's basically just a recorder that sits on your board, but it's so much more than just a recorder that sits on your board. Um, it's been pretty fantastic. All right, so here's one of my main topics for the night. All right, so the Pete Townsend Signature Strat. Has anybody else seen this? I was actually trying to get John from Iron City Rocks to come on and talk to me about this, but our schedules just weren't gelling um, because John is very, he has a very strong opinion about signature guitars, and it, it's, I fear this would be a really fun topic for the two of us to, to go back and forth and debate. So the Pete Townsend, well, so let's back up. So signature guitars. 
I would love to know how you feel about them. Hit me up on Twitter, S-G-N-L, the number two N-Z. Uh, it's my Twitter handle. It's my Instagram handle. If you check out signaltonoise.fm, everything's linked out there as well. But so hit me up and let me know what you think about signature guitars. Because up until recently, I really didn't have a problem with them. And all of a sudden, this one that came out that I'm about to talk about really bothered me. I had the Dimebag Daryl Washburn signature, the Dime 333 in Dime Bolt Finish. Um, but honestly, he's the only guy I've ever really seen play it. So it's his shape. Like, it's his guitar. I can't even consider it a signature guitar it's Dimes guitar. It just feels that unique, you know? And even when, like, Angus Young had the um, the signature SGs, Tony Iommi had the sign signature SGs, I just thought it was cool. Like, it had their little custom tweaks, we'll say. Like, you know, Angus had the lightning bolts, Tony had the crosses, that sort of thing. Um, the Dave Murray Stratocaster. I love the Dave Murray Stratocaster because they basically hot-rotted a Strat to look just like Dave Murray's. And even, uh, of course, you know, since we're talking about Iron Maiden, Steve Harris's uh, Blue Sparkle Precision Bass. Being a huge Steve, Steve Harris fan, I thought it was absolutely a fantastic thing. So I really loved the, uh, the Blue Sparkle Bass, the signature bass. I'm like, oh, this is great. Um, the Duck Dunn P Bass, another guy I was a big fan of. And I always thought these signature instruments were really cool. It was great. And I think in my head... I, I thought of them not necessarily as much as a signature instrument as you are getting what that artist would set up their guitar to be. So it's like basically like I am purchasing their setup, whatever their custom mods are, like um, a bass extender key on Billy Sheehan's bass, the the pickups, the way that they're set up in the Steve, um, the Steve Murray Stratocaster, right? So those sort of things. And never really thought twice about these signature guitars, thought it was a neat idea, until this one just came out. So Fender this year release the Pete Townsend Signature Stratocaster. So here's why this bothers me. First of all, I love Pete Townsend. I love The Who. I think The Who have been a very underrated band in a lot of uh, ways, um, especially the bass work of John Antwistle, right? So Pete Townsend, being kind of a guitar hero of mine, I would love to see him get a signature instrument. However, he's been playing a Fender Strat for a while. The Fender Strat that he plays was given to him by a good friend of his, Eric Clapton. So his Stratocaster is an Eric Clapton signature Stratocaster. Do you see where this is going? So essentially, Pete Townsend's signature Strat is just an Eric Clapton signature Strat. All right? So that's, that's what bothers me. Now, there are some cool mods, like they have a PZO pickup in the bridge, and there's the extra knob, so it does look just like what Pete had done to his Eric Clapton Stratocaster, but still, I have a rough time calling this the Pete Townsend Signature Stratocaster when it's the Eric Clapton Stratocaster. This is where my brain's gone fuzzy. And so it's really bothering me. Like, it's really, really, really bugging me to the point where other signature guitars are starting to bug me. And now I'm just like, oh, like the Slash Les Paul. It looks like every other Les Paul. And I know I'm probably, you know, going to upset some people with that, but now I'm just like, oh, is this really cool? So... I don't know. I don't know how I feel about signature guitars anymore because the um, the Pete Townsend Strat really kind of pushed me over the edge. But at the same time, I kind of want to play one because it's some cool mods. He did some really cool stuff to it. So I, would he have done it if he would have just picked up a Strat off the street? I don't know. Is the only reason he has a Strat, you know, because of Eric Clapton? I mean, 
I associated Pete Townsend with Gibson guitars for the longest time. Like I think he played was an ES three thirty five. I'm sure um, Scott of uh, Focus on Metal will correct me if I'm wrong. So thank you, Scott, for in advance for writing in. If you do, um, I know I've seen him with an SG, like that kind of stuff. So. I, like the Fender thing was more like in the 90s, like after Eric Clapton got his signature Strat, you know, Pete Townsend started playing one. And at first I was kind of like, oh, that's weird. But I'm like, ah, they're buddies. You know what? They, You know, it's probably like a big deal to them. So I don't know, man. That kind of bothers me. But I digress here. So next up for my other main topic of the night, the Digitech and DoD death metal pedal. All right. So here's what's going on. Um, the era that I came up in with pedals, really, there were two, two brands of pedals you could get, uh, DOD and Boss, right? That, that was really it, at least, you know, where I was growing up. I mean, man, where I was growing up, it was all farm country. I didn't have any neighbors close. Like I didn't have like neighbors I could go play with, um, which is probably why I ended up playing guitar because it was something I could do solitary, but then go join a bunch of people later. You know, so it's one of those things that kind of worked both ways. You could play it by yourself or you could get, do it with a group of people. Unlike uh, I've always wanted to get into things like Dungeons and Dragons, but that's something you can't really do by yourself. Right. So I really didn't have a lot of choices. And I remember um, and I've talked about this on the blog. I don't know if I've talked about it on the show before, but um, I remember getting my very first distortion pedal. It's a Boss HM2 heavy metal pedal. And um when I got that pedal, it was between that pedal and I want to say the Proco Rat uh, distortion pedal, which with as big of a deal as Rat is right now, I wish I would have bought one of those anyway at the time. Um, and I feel like there may have been something DOD, but um, I had a DOD base core, still have it, right? And um, so I've always been kind of fascinated by these pedals. So DOD pedals... I think they get a bad rap sometimes. And in the 90s, they're really struggling, I think, to find find their niche or find what was going on. Because in the 90s, man, you had this crazy mix where for guitar players, there was still a lot of rack gear, right? And I would say even up till like 2000, rack gear and pedals were still kind of neck and neck with rack gear kind of winning out. Um, because you had companies like Digitech that were doing great things with rack gear. Like you could do oh, just the amount of combination of effects. So my guitar player, Sean, and Sean's been on the show before uh, from Darkwater. Sean had a Digitech 2120. His first was a uh, floor unit, the RP1. And um, the 2120 just had this amazing set of sounds. It had a tube preamp, so it was a nice warm sound, like really sounded great. And I remember I wanted to get those kind of um, those kind of sounds too, like in a multi-effects pedal. I didn't want to have to haul around a bunch of pedals. Like I was never big on effects, which is kind of funny since I'm surrounded by stomp boxes right now. But I was never big on effects when I was, you know, younger playing bass. But then I, I got to where I wanted to start experimenting with different sounds. And so I picked up a couple of pedals, tried to find an effects unit that would work. And I couldn't find any that were as cool as what they were making for guitar. The guitar ones wouldn't handle my bass really well. So I stuck to stomp boxes. And in the 90s, Digitech was really chasing trends. And the irony is I wish I would have bought some of those pedals on clearance because now those trends have become kind of iconic, or at least some of the sounds. So they did the uh, the death metal pedal. They did um, the grunge pedal, right, after the, the big grunge um, scene there. They had the gonculator, which I have um, 
located one. I do have a gonculator. I also have a digital model of the gonculator in there uh, in the iStomp pedal. Something else I'll be talking about on future episodes. And then there's also the um, the buzz box. Is that what it's called? The buzz box. I think I have I. I think I picked up one of those as well. So they're trying to trying to go after these crazy sounds and those pedals didn't sa- didn't sell well but there are some pretty cool sounding things. So the death metal pedal was really interesting to me and I I don't even think that the death metal pedal that I have is the first version of it. There were probably I think there was a total of three versions if I remember what I was looking up online here. So the first death metal pedal that came out um, and they were, they were killing me with this back in the nineties when they were doing this, instead of putting like your normal, like, you know, level high, mid distortion gain, whatever. Right. Um, they would rename the controls. So the death metal pedal was RIP, uh, guts. Hang on. What's the other, I gotta, I gotta lean, lean down here. Um, oh yeah. Pain and scream. So it was RIP guts, pain and scream right now on the original pedal. That's all that you saw. And, you know, looking at this one again, there's no way this is the original because the original pedal was not as well built as this. So here's my beef with DOD and why I always went Boss. DOD at the time had a three-year warranty. Boss had a five-year warranty. You know, even as a young kid, five's a bigger number than three, and I know what I'm going to do with these pedals. I'm going to step on them a lot. So if I can get five years of stepping on it versus three years of stepping on it, that's a good deal to me. The, um... The DoD pedals, just the way that they did their foot switch and the way they did the battery compartment just always seemed so chintzy. And so many of my friends, if they were going to lose something, they lost the back of that battery compartment for the DoD pedals, right? So the version of the death metal that I have has a better stomp switch. It's much sturdier than the original DoD pedals. And even the battery compartment in the back is much better, right? Now... I know it's not the original because I'm looking at the um, the settings here. It has RIP, guts, pain, and scream on the bottom, but above the knobs. So those, that's below the knobs. Above the knobs, it actually has like level uh, lows, highs, mids, or low, mid, high rather. Um, if you're wondering, well, wait a second, where's the gain? That's the cool thing about this pedal. It's a one-trick pony. There is no gain setting, right? There is no gain setting whatsoever. Um, it is always on. It's turned up to 11. It, you know, every cliche you can think of, it is just this loud, brash, crazy pedal. And um, that's kind of what I, what, I, what I dug about it. It's a one-trick pony, but it does that trick very, very well. So DoD Digitech, they went through the whole thing where they kind of discontinued the DoD brand there for a while. Digitech puts out their version of the death metal. This one, they try to like make the words like death metal, like look death e, I guess, like like they kind of scribble it so it's supposed to look, I guess, harsh or scary or something. But um, all the all the all all like the controls are labeled normal, so you have your levels, you know, lows, mids, highs, that sort of stuff. Um, the neat thing about the new Digitech pedals. That they started doing when they when they um when they went this way, is my biggest beef. Like I said earlier, there with DoD, is that the the casing just felt chintzy. Like it always felt to me like it was gonna break. I mean, I honestly cannot believe that I still have my base chorus pedal. Um, I can't believe that I still have it. I mean, that's 
geez, well over 20 years, probably 25 years, maybe more, possibly 30 years at this point now that I'm thinking that. But so I never thought it was going to make it that long because it just always felt like it was going to break. Um, but it did. It, it survived. But it just it felt cheap. It looked cheap. So the other death metal pedal that I have, it's essentially a boss pedal with a few tweaks. Like it, it looks like a boss case. Like I've, I've got a bunch of other boss pedals on the board here right beside it. And, um, it, it just looks like the boss design, right? You've got like the, the raised foot switch that you stomp that has, um, you know, the fulcrum where you push down to push the switch. It's a little bit lower where the knobs are. It's, it's got that aesthetic. That's what it looks like. You even plug in the plug in the power in the back like a boss pedal. Now here's what's cool. Instead of that, still that little screw that Boss did, um, I got to give them props for this improvement because they actually, um, instead of like having that little set screw that you had to unscrew and unscrew, they have a couple of pins, and you can just take your guitar cord, push the pin in, it pops off the uh, the top, the whole top stomp part comes off, change the battery, pop that sucker back on. Uh, no parts to lose. That's what I like. Because even on the boss pedal, if you get that set screw out too far, man, you're going to lose it. It's gone. Um, but they really thought about the design. Like they built the better mousetrap with this. So these pedals here, um, do they sound different? Do they sound the same? Well, that's what we're about to figure out. And I was playing with them before I started recording here. And I came up with some just different settings. And I'll probably be leaning down to tweak a couple things. Maybe I'll edit that out. Maybe I won't. But so here's the guitar without any of the effects on it. I'm going through my um, my Epiphone SG. It's my it's a special edition. I can't remember why it was special, but it was a special edition Epiphone crafted in Indonesia. Uh, Karina. I got two humbuckers in in the guitar. The neck humbucker really doesn't work that well, so I don't use it very often. And then it's going into my Vox AC4. I've got it on the quarter watt setting, mic'd up with a Shure SM57. And um, this is now with the death metal pedal, the Digitech version. So you can hear that that's pretty good at the feedback, right? Um, I wasn't even trying to feedback, and it just tries to feedback. Now, that's with all the settings set about noon, right? Just straight across the board, set at noon. So I said, thought, well, what would happen, since I do have two of these, can I use these in conjunction with each other to do some neat effects? So I turned, I left the uh, level, or the RIP, the rest in peace, right, at noon, but then I turned everything else to, I guess, about the uh, 7 o'clock position, right? So it's all the way to the left, so check this. So what I dig about that is it reminds me of some of the special effects guitar sounds like I've heard on like some of the Snapcase records when you want that, that tinny kind of sound. And so I could kind of use them together here. Now, the cool thing is, is I have the, um, 
the DOD death metal is, is in the front, and so that's the one that I have scooped. And so I just turn that one on and off, and that turns on and off that scooping sound. So I thought that was kind of a neat idea. And then I'm going to pause the recorder here and set up for the next section because um, I want to try something that's added to the Digitech pedal. So the Digitech added a uh, speaker cab simulation so you can go direct out to the mixer. So we're going to put that in now and just kind of see like, so how's it sound? Like you guys heard it mic'd up. I'm not going to say I'm an expert at micing this amplifier, but you heard it mic'd up. So now let's see what that sounds like when we, um, when we just run direct from the mixer out. All right. So I'm back. I have got the, um, I've got the Digitech running now direct into Logic. I did not set up monitoring, so I really can't hear what I'm playing here. So that was probably not, you know, not 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 a not good planning on my part. Um, it seems like it's a pretty hot signal so far. So that is the Digitech by itself, and the, really that's what I want to talk about tonight because I think it's a pretty cool pedal. You can pick these up pretty cheap. Um, I picked both these up for about 20 bucks each. So if you look around, you can find them out there pretty cheap. Um, I was checking on Reverb, eBay, and Craigslist, and they are about probably about 50 bucks right now on the used market. So even at 50 bucks, if you're looking for that kind of high gain sound or you want to do something neat like that, man, I think it's a good pedal. Um, but like I said, for 20 bucks, I wasn't going to pass it up because that's pretty darn cheap for those. Actually, I think I bought the one at the old music store I used to work at, the uh, the DoD version. So, uh, speaking of Craigslist, um, let's talk about my Craigslist adventures. Okay, so Craigslist. Um, before I moved, I had some pretty good experiences with Craigslist. Never really bought gear. I sold gear, sold stuff out of the house, that sort of stuff. Had people come to the house, pick up desks and furniture and all sorts of other things, never had a problem. I moved down south. My first Craigslist experience went horribly wrong. I'm not going to get into the details, but it really turned me off of Craigslist literally for the last two years. So then um, I mentioned at the top of the show, I've been listening to 60 Cycle Hum. Well, these guys are Craigslist junkies. Like I used to think that John over at Iron City Rocks was bad because he would always send me stuff he found on Craigslist. Um, these guys make him look like a lightweight because, man, they are always finding deals. They've always got something going on. And they really inspire me to start watching my locals Craigslist to see what I can find. So I did. I found a, um, a DS1 came up for 25 bucks. I uh, texted the guy. I'm like, hey, man, it's still available. Would you take 20 bucks? He's like, yeah. When can we meet? Um, he's like, well, I can't meet you until 9 p.m. So I'm telling my coworkers about this. And apparently around where I'm at, um, Craigslist and um, Nefarious Things have kind of gone hand in hand. And they're like, you're going to meet them where? I'm like, well, at a Walgreens. Are you nuts? I'm like, well, it's 24 hours. There'll be people there. Like, it's nine o'clock at night. It's at night. What are you doing? And so they had me all worked up. Like, I even talked to my neighbor. He was going to go with me. But then I texted the guy. I'm like, you know what? He seems pretty legit. And I started thinking about it. Most of the people that I've talked to about Craigslist and even the bad interaction that I had was not involving music gear, right? And not to say that there's not crazy musicians out there, because quite honestly, if you're a musician, you are crazy a little bit in some way. We all are, right? Because that's like that's what makes us 
artists, you know, like most guitar players, most artists are that stereotypical insecure, whether they admit it or not. But there's always like a little bit of crazy going on there. And I'm like, you know what? If this guy's selling a pedal, he wants to meet at nine o'clock at night. 9 p.m. for a musician is like 6 a.m. for the rest of the world. And I'm like, you know, it's probably going to be okay. Text him a little bit. Hey, you know, running late. He was cool. Uh, met him. Cool guy. Sold me the pedal. 20 bucks. Got it with the AC adapter. Um, it's a Boss DS1, so I'm excited to try that out because I've been wanting to pick some up so I could mod them because I want to try that out. So for 20 bucks, you know, can't beat that if, if something goes wrong. Uh, but it, so it was a pretty good experience. And I'm like, you know, I just need to stick to the things that I'm comfortable with and that I know very well, and that's music gear because I've spent most of my life um, memorizing every piece of gear that's come out. Like I, I poured over every magazine. Um, I actually went back and found some classic issues. When I say classic, I mean from like the eighties from when I first started reading guitar magazines of guitar for the practicing musician. And I'm flipping through. I'm like, Oh my goodness. I remember all this stuff. Cause I looked at it so much. It's just burned in my brain, you know, instant recognition. So that's this episode. Next episode, I'm going to talk about the wiretap because, man, am I excited about that pedal. Um, and also, you know what? I can't believe I forgot to mention this, but the scuzz box. So as I'm recording this, I don't know if I'm going to get this out in time, but tomorrow is going to be August 20th. So it is Dimebag Daryl's birthday. He would have been 50 years old. Rest in peace, Dime. And um, it's also Metallica is playing in Minneapolis. They're streaming the concert live on Pandora. And that makes me think of Kirk's... Um, pedal company khdk i had the ghoul screamer i've talked about the ghoul screamer absolutely love it well they released the scuzz box and man you check out the um check out the the teaser video that khdk did so the one with dave catching that's cool that sounds cool those are the kind of sounds i'm looking for um i went and watched some of the other like pro gear demos and, um, cause there's a lot of guys that do these gear demos professionally. And, you know, I used to watch these and be like, Oh man, I, w- I would love to be able to do something like that. And I've been kind of trying to encourage myself to try and do, you know, more demos, just practice, shoot stuff. You know, you got to start somewhere, put some stuff together. And then I was watching them and I'm watching this pedal and I'm realizing that with the ghoul screamer and this, uh, fuzz pedal, their demos are not making me want to buy the pedal. Like, when I watch their demos of it, like these other demos by like, like these guys that do tons of demos, you know, some big name guys, um, I don't like it. And it's not that it's not, it's not the pedal. It's just the way they're playing it. They don't know how to play or they don't play that pedal the way I would play it. And that's kind of a problem with, I think your demos in general, right? So one of my goals is going to be to start trying to demo more pedals, just starting with the stuff that I have, um, do things like the, the death metal pedal that I just did here. And, um, I've also got the, uh, the Digitech black 13, the Scotty Signature pedal. I plan on do, talking a lot about that in the future as well, but I want to demo those. And instead of miking them up on an amp, I think what I'm going to do is, um, set up my zoom Q4. Uh, so it's close enough that I, you can hear, hear it as I hear it. Right. Because I mean, I can mic stuff and you know, if you mic it well, it sounds great. If not, it doesn't. And I really like the idea of you, the listener, the person who's interested in whatever this piece of gear is that, you know, I'm talking about or anybody's talking about when they do a demo, sounds the way that it sounds to you when you're playing it. And that's how I want you guys to hear it. Because like um, 
when I heard people demo the Ghoul Screamer, I'm like, wow, that doesn't sound that great. And thankfully, I watched those videos after I bought mine because I looked at the Ghoul Screamer. It had a skull graphic on it. It was a Tube Screamer clone. I've been really digging my Tube Screamer, or I guess they called it a tweet to, uh, Tube Screamer. Um, I think they've got a lot of crap for the Tube Screamer thing because, to me, the Ghoul Screamer is much more than a Tube Screamer. When I put it in my rig with the way I set up, I can get the sounds I want to get. It's a feedback machine for me. It's got that bite, um, like, like that that real pronounced, like just biting sound like in a Seek and Destroy on the first Metallica record, you know? on Kill em All. So I was glad that I didn't watch the demos till after I got it. And then when they released the teaser for the Scuzz Box with Dave Catching, I'm like, oh man, this sounds awesome. Like he's playing this sweet old flying V. It's a Karina V that kind of looks like my Karina Epiphone that I have. And now I'm looking for a Karina Epiphone flying V to match this because it's that sweet. It just seems so cool. It sounded great. I'm like, oh, I, I can't wait to hear more. Like I really want to hear more. And, um, so I'm watching some of these demos and it just, it was turning me off. And I'm like, you know what? Like, okay. Cause at first I, I, I wasn't, I was thinking I'm like, ah, maybe, you know, maybe there's enough demos out there, but the really, the more I think about it, the more demos, the better, the more people that are putting stuff up, the better off we are because we're going to hear different takes on a pedal. There might be a pedal that you heard and wrote off, but the way somebody else plays it, now you're going to identify with it because that's the way that you play or that's the way that you approach music. I'm not going to sit here and tell you guys that I am the world's greatest guitarist. I will always be a practicing musician. I still sit down to study, to practice. My technique is nowhere near where I'd like it to be. But man, when I sit down in my studio, I have a great time. And that's what this is really all about, man. You have a great time. You've got a great tone. You're going for a sound. You're chasing a sound to get a feeling. And that's why I chase the gear because I want a feeling produced by that certain sound. And so that's how I'm going to approach things from now on, guys. All right. So um, I think this episode has possibly already gone longer than I anticipated it. And I'm recording this late at night. And you know what? Every time I want to sign off, I think of more things. Um, as you're listening to this, literally, like maybe about an hour ago, if that, uh, oh, no, about an hour ago, I just wrapped up recording with uh, Radioactive Metal. So um, it's actually going to be me with all three of the co-hosts, which is something if you've been checking out that show that I've been dying to do. Um, and it was, we just had a great time. It's a, um, they're, they're fun people. I love talking to those guys. And it was just a really, really fun episode. It was just kind of off the chain, man. So um, that's really it, and I'm going to call this until uh, next time. So this has been episode 36 of the Signal to Noise podcast, and until next time, make some noise. (laughs) 